Well, good morning, family. It's great to be joined together this morning in worship. And what a good morning it's been of worship. As we come to open the word of the Lord this morning, let's just come to him in prayer. Father, we again are so grateful for the gifts you have given to us. They are many, but above all is the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, our Rescuer, who has saved us, who has brought us into your family, into the kingdom of Christ. We are so grateful. Now in these moments, I pray, Father, that you will help us to to listen to you. May you speak to us through your word this morning. May we not just hear truth, but, Father, may it get to our soul. May it change us from the inside out, all for the glory of our Lord Jesus and for our own good as well. We ask in his name. Amen. Well, this year, 2021, is the chapel's 50th year, and we're today in week four of a seven-week study reviewing our church's statement of faith, the bedrock foundations of what we believe, and examining that in the light of Scripture We've already looked at the Scriptures as the Word of God. We've seen, we've looked at God the Father and the Trinity. Last week, Pastor Emeritus, Pastor Larry led us through a look at our Savior, Jesus Christ. And today we come to the fourth statement of our statement of faith, and it relates, as Pastor Aaron already mentioned, to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the member of the Godhead that convicts regenerates, indwells, baptizes into the body of Christ, teaches and empowers every believer. As with all of these statements, there's an awful lot of things packed into just a very few words. In our day, as I think has been the case for perhaps many times, many centuries in the church, there is much confusion about the Holy Spirit among believers. But the fact that there is much confusion shouldn't make us just, well, we don't really need to pay any attention. In fact, what we what the Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit is it informs us that the truth of the Holy Spirit is important. It is significant, I would even say is essential for us if we are going to live the Christian life as God has designed for us to do, we need to know and we need to apply the truth of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In fact, Jesus thought the Holy Spirit was so significant that if you go to the book of John, and most of you know in the Gospel of John, that when Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples, John gives us the biggest insight into what happened that evening in those few hours before the crucifixion. Matter of fact, John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 all are taking place in that upper room and give us the the interaction between Jesus and the disciples on that night. And in those chapters, it's John chapter 14, 15, and 16, that what you will discover if you go and look is you will see that 
one of the most significant amounts of time that Jesus spends in his talking with the disciples is, is he spends time talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one of the major themes of the discussion there in that room. So Jesus thought it was important. In matter of fact, Jesus uttered these astounding words in that upper room. He told the disciples, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And as we'll see later on in verses from these same chapters, that the Helper is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I leave so the Holy Spirit can come. I find those words astounding. Do you? For I would think that it'd be far better to have Jesus with us, wouldn't you? I'm sure the disciples thought that if they understood at all what he was saying. He kept telling them he was leaving and they kept going, where are you going? Much they didn't get right then. But Jesus says it's better for you to have the Holy Spirit with you than to have me. To understand that, we need to dig into the text here, into the Scripture, and see what we can learn about the Holy Spirit. First question I want us to answer this morning is this question, who is the Holy Spirit? The Bible informs us, and, and these first few points are going to be really a little bit of review. We touched on some of it a couple of weeks ago as we were talking about the Trinity. But it's important that we understand this. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Scriptures inform us that the Holy Spirit is a person, not just a force, not just a power. It's not like Star Wars, you know, where there's the force that we need to tap into out there, Some, you know, that's the Spirit. That's not it. The Holy Spirit is not a power. He is a person. For one thing, we tend to define personhood by uh, several qualities. Among those are mind or intellect and emotion and will. The Holy Spirit has all three of those. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, For the Holy Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. It takes intellect, it takes mind to go and to search into the depths of God, into all of the wisdom and the, and the knowledge and the understanding of God. The Holy Spirit has intellect. We could use other verses, but we're going to have to be quick. Matter of fact, I have to do something that's not native to a Texan. I have to talk fast this morning because time is already way away from us and we've got a lot to cover. So I'm going to try to talk fast. Secondly, the Holy Spirit has emotions. He shows feelings. We see that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He can be grieved. He can be made sad. He can, as it were, hurt emotionally. The Holy Spirit has a will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, speaking of spiritual gifts, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. He has a will. He has His own plan, His own determination. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit acts as a person. He does things that... Only a person can do. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit, for example, teaches us. 
A thing doesn't teach us, but the Spirit, a person, does. It says that the Holy Spirit guides us. He leads us. A force doesn't do that, but a person does. He prays for us. Romans 8.28 The Spirit Himself intercedes. He prays for us. Furthermore, in the Scripture, and I noted this a couple of weeks ago, the Holy Spirit is designated as a person. It says here, again, in the, in the upper room that night, John 16, Jesus talking to the disciples about the Holy Spirit. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. The important word there to note right now is the word he. The spirit is not an it. The spirit is a he. In Greek, just as in, in English, it makes a difference. He's not a neuter, just a, a thing. He is a person. And it's by the, the masculine pronoun, very specific in the Greek. He, he's a person. So not only is the Holy Spirit a person, But we also need to say He is God. Now, I realize that most of you go, yeah, I've known all these things forever. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is God. But recognize that we need to go over that when we're talking to the Holy Spirit. For there are those out there through history and even today who deny one or both of these. The Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person in the triunity of the Godhead. By the way, you might wonder where that word Godhead comes from. If you go back to your old King James Bible, you'll find that three times in the King James text, that word Godhead, each time referring to God in His completeness, God in His glory. And um, the the third person, excuse me, the, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triunity, the Godhead. But he is God because, for one thing, he has the characteristics of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 tells us that no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. It takes God to know the thoughts of God. The Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God, so he is God. He is also, according to Hebrews 9.14, he is the eternal Spirit, who through the eternal Spirit, only God is eternal. Everything else has a beginning. Now, you and I, we know that the Bible tells us we have eternal life, meaning that we are going to live forever. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will live forever, but we are not eternal in terms going backwards. We are eternal going forwards, but not backwards. We have a beginning. We were created. Angels were created. Only God is uncreated. The Holy Spirit is eternal God. He is everywhere. He he has omnipresence, the Bible says. Psalm 139 says this, verse 7, Where shall I go from your spirit, and where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I descend and make my bed in Sheol, you are there. There is no getting away from God's spirit. He is everywhere, even as God is everywhere, omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is creator. He was active in creation. We saw this again a couple of weeks ago, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, second verse of the Bible, where it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. 
The Spirit of God was active in creation even as God the Father was and even as Colossians 1 says, God the Son, Jesus Christ, is Creator. All three persons of the Godhead were involved in creation. Scripture identifies the Holy Spirit as God very plainly. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. The Apostle Peter, you might recall, there's a scene there where this guy, Ananias, has tried to deceive and pull a fast one over the church. Actually, not over the church because they don't care. He's giving a gift, but he's saying that he's giving everything, but he's holding some back. And Peter calls him in because the Holy Spirit has told Peter, Ananias told a lie. And he calls him in and says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? He goes on to say, you have not lied to man, but to God. Lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says it this way, Now the Lord is the Spirit. In verse 18, it goes on, For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Could it be any clearer? The Lord God is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God. And again, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, there are a number of passages, one of the uh, ones that we know best, that put all three persons of the Godhead together in one verse and put them there equally. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular name, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One name, three persons, all equal, all God. One God, three persons. And I know if you've never heard that before, your mind is going, whoa, It's okay, we've heard it a million times and our minds still go, oh, don't get it, but it's true. All right, I'm going to move on. I've got to keep talking fast. Second question then, what does the Holy Spirit do? What does the Bible say about what the Holy Spirit does? What is His role in the world? There are perhaps many things we could say. Our statement of faith lists six specific ones, and six which are very significant for us. And so we want to just look at those. The first, as we see in the statement there, the Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead that convicts. John chapter 16, verse 8. Again, in the upper room with the disciples the night before the crucifixion, Jesus is talking about the coming Holy Spirit. And He says, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit's ministry of conviction is critical. It is crucial for anyone, for people being saved. See, no one would come to faith in Jesus. No one would ever be saved if it weren't for work of the Spirit. The Spirit works to convict people of their need to be saved, of their sin, specifically, as Jesus goes on to explain, of their sin of unbelief, that they don't believe in Christ. Secondly, to convict them of righteousness, and specifically, it's about the fact that that Jesus Christ is righteous, that He has been vindicated. Jesus Christ came to earth, God became man. He dwelt among us, John says, we beheld His glory. 
The glory is the one and only of the Father, full of grace and truth. But then we crucified Him. He died on the cross and as part of God's plan from the very beginning to pay the penalty of our sin. He was resurrected from the dead and He ascended to heaven. And it all vindicated the fact that all of His claims were true. The Spirit convicts men of their sin, of the, of the righteousness of Christ, the reality of Christ, and lastly, of judgment, that there is judgment coming on all those who do not receive, who do not trust in Jesus Christ. That ministry, as I said, is crucial if anyone is ever going to be saved. The Holy Spirit is in the, at work convicting people of sin righteousness and judgment. But next, the word there is regenerates. Regenerates means to give new life. It means to take that which is dead, as it were, and bring it back to life. Again, this work of the Spirit is also critical for anyone to be saved. You see, if we go to the Bible and we look at Colossians chapter 3, you can discover there that the Bible says that the natural state of every person, every person who is ever born into this world except Jesus Christ. Everyone, the Bible says, we were born dead in our transgressions and sins. We're dead. And you see, the reason that this is critical, the reason that, that people need the convicting work of the Spirit and the regenerating work of the Spirit is because people are dead, spiritually dead. Have you ever been around a dead body? You know, you can talk to that dead body all you want. You can yell at it. You can scream at it. But you know what it won't do? It won't respond. If it responds, it's not dead. It won't respond because it's dead. And in the very same way, the Bible is telling us that as sinners, we are spiritually dead and we cannot respond to the grace of God unless we are regenerated. So the Spirit is in the business of giving us new life, of giving us a new birth. Jesus actually put it this way, John chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. You recall the story, perhaps it's, it's a man named Nicodemus comes to see Jesus at night, secretly. And Jesus responds and says to him here, he says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You see, when we are born of the flesh, we are born physically, but spiritually, the Bible says, we're dead in our transgressions and sins. We're spiritually dead. We are the walking dead, the spiritual zombies, as it were. But those who are born of the Spirit... That which is born of the Spirit is spirit, and we need a new birth, a spiritual rebirth. The Bible says that's what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus says we need to be born again, born of the Spirit. The question is, how does that happen? How can we be reborn? Nicodemus asked the question. Jesus answered the question. 
He says you need to be, but he answers the question how a few verses later in the one verse of Scripture almost everybody knows. If you know any verse of Scripture at all, just a couple of verses later, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you're here this morning and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I beg you to do that. The Bible says you need to be born again if you want to go to heaven. And the way to be born again is to be trust in Jesus Christ. Anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, the Spirit, he says, gives new birth, makes us alive spiritually. Moving on, the third word here in this list is that word indwells. God's Spirit indwells, lives in us. Again, in that upper room the night before the crucifixion, Jesus says this in John 14, verses 16. He says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says, guys, to His disciples who have been following Him, He says, you know the Holy Spirit. He's been with you. But something's going to change. He's going to be in you. Something marvelous and wonderful happened that we're going to see here in just a moment. That's different than things were in the Old Testament, different than things were while Jesus was walking on earth, different which is why Jesus said, as we, as we said earlier, He says, it's better for you if I go. What changed? Well, this promise Jesus makes here that He will be in you is what changes. That wonderful promise became reality for the disciples at Pentecost. And it became the norm then. It became what happens for every single believer in Christ. From that moment on, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. As Paul tells the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, For you are God's temple. God's Spirit lives in you. Now, a few days before Pentecost, a few days before that happened where the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in the believers, a few days before that, Jesus ascended to heaven. And there in Acts chapter 1, we have Jesus talking to the disciples in Acts 1, and He tells them this. He tells them not to leave, not to leave Jerusalem, but wait there because He says in a few days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Sure enough, He ascended to heaven. Not many days later was Pentecost. Not only did the Holy Spirit come to indwell them, but what Jesus said would happen there is that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's that next name, that next word, I should say, in our list. Baptizes into the body of Christ. Jesus said, predicted they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We wonder, what does that mean? If you listen to some Christians out there, you will hear that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a lot of people talk about it. But some will say that 
It is a special experience that we need to seek out and we need to to long for and to, to desire sometime after we become a Christian, after we are saved, some kind of second experience, and they call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But that is not the baptism of the Spirit that the Bible talks about. On Pentecost, the... Believers there were baptized with the Holy Spirit. That phrase, being baptized by the Holy Spirit, does not occur again in the Bible after Pentecost, except in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is where we get the explanation of just what happens in the baptism of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says this, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, uh, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What it is, is when the Holy Spirit baptizes or places a believer in Jesus Christ, someone who places their faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit then places them into the body of Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've placed your faith and trust in Him, the Bible says at that moment, the Holy Spirit takes you and places you in the body of Christ. If you are not in the body of Christ, you are not saved. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something we look for after salvation, a second experience that we we hope for or long for. It is exactly what happened when you were saved. You were placed in the body of Christ. I don't say that to be divisive or contrary to folks. I say that because that's what the Bible says. Okay. In other words, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what puts us in the body of Christ. It is what unites us into this wonderful new thing that was created at Pentecost, the church. Not the chapel of the lake, but the church universal. The church made up of every believer from that day until this and until Jesus Christ comes back. Every believer, whether they are rich or poor, educated or illiterate, whether they are black or white or any other racial you know, or national or linguistic or whatever other divide people want to put out there, we are all, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we are in one body, in one family, the church. This church is a local church, a local gathering, and I hope everyone in this church is part of the universal church. Because if you're not, being here doesn't do you a bit of good, except to hear how you can be saved and be baptized into the church by the Holy Spirit. Well, we've got to keep moving. What else does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit teaches, John fourteen twenty five to 26, These things, Jesus said, I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus later in in chapter 16 tells the disciples, I have so much more to tell you, but you're not ready. You can't handle it. The Holy Spirit will finish the job. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. He was a teacher for them. He is still a teacher for us. The Apostle Paul makes it clear how much we need the Holy Spirit in 
today in learning and understanding God's Word. He says this, We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. There's a whole lot of things that we can't understand, you see, on our own. We need God's Spirit to help us. He makes it even clearer a couple of verses later where he says this, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them correctly because they are spiritually discerned. See, where do we get the Word of God? We learned a few weeks ago it came from the Spirit of God, from the Holy Spirit. And natural man, uh, uh, the unsaved person in this world, cannot really understand the Word of God. And he also can't accept it. It's foolishness to him. We need the work of the Holy Spirit to, Pastor Aaron used the word earlier, illuminate, to illumine, to shed light in our minds, to enable us to understand the Word of God rightly. So... The Holy Spirit is at work in you and me as we read the Word of God, as we feed upon it. He is at work in us, helping us to understand more and more and more as days and weeks and years go on. And none of us, by the way, have arrived. We're all still learning. Praise God for that. We're in process. Lastly, the the last work of the Holy Spirit in this list is this word there, empowers He empowers every believer. A few moments ago, we were in Acts chapter 1, just as Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And immediately that gets our attention. Our ears perk up and we go, Power! (laughs) Yeah, I like the sound of that. Power! The question is, what kind of power? Does he talk about like miracles? So we're going to go around doing miracles, maybe like the apostles or like Jesus, or or maybe we're going to have superhuman strength. We're going to be like Superman, like Samson. Samson had super strength when the Holy Spirit came upon him. What kind of power is it? Well, it's the power of God. And I will say this God can give any power He wants to anyone. God can do anything He wants because He's God. So I'm not going to say what He can't do or what He won't do. What I am going to say is that throughout human history, I I don't see a lot of examples where God has given superhuman strength to an individual short of Samson. I don't see other examples in the Bible. God did allow some to work miracles. The Holy Spirit worked through some to work miracles. God did that, and He can still do that if He desires. But by and large, in all of humanity, as I see Scripture, God has worked through very few to do such big displays of power that we think of as the big important ones. But God told the disciples, or Jesus told the disciples there in that upper room, greater works than these you will do than He has done. And I don't think He's talking about the miracles. I think He's talking about the big, important, really big miracles. You say, what is that? Well, I'll get to that in just a second. Three things, three ways I find in the Bible specifically where the Holy Spirit empowers us. 
rather than speculating on what it might be out there, let's look at what the Bible says, right? Let's finish this verse as a great place to start. But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What's the rest of the verse? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, the first and I think probably the most significant purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life is to empower you and me for the purpose of evangelism, for the purpose of sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the only hope that people have, the only way that people can be saved. It is the only real good news that people can hear. And you see, the greatest miracle of all is not what we think of as a great miracle. The greatest miracle of all is that God saves a sinner, takes someone who is in rebellion against God, who is lost in their transgression and sin, and who deserves hell, and they are saved by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ and transformed and given new life and adopted into the family of God and have a destiny of glory. Brothers and sisters, that's the greatest miracle of all. So don't don't want just to have miracles of, you know, whatever that I don't if God does those, those are wonderful, but the purpose is never to make us look good. It's always about the glory of Christ. The first way reason he empowers us is for to evangelize. Secondly, by the way, to give us boldness, I would say, and, and I, I've often heard people say, you know, wait, wait, well, then if, if the Holy Spirit is giving us the empowerment for evangelism to give us boldness and to give us words to say and, and in order to communicate the message, then how come I don't experience that? And that's a great question. As we sit around, we say, okay, you dump the power on me and I'll go do the work. And I think it works the other way around. That God says, you step up and obey what I have commanded you to do because He's told us to go and be His witnesses. To go and make disciples. When we step up and start to do it, He'll give us the ability and the power we need to get the job done. He asks us to step out in faith. And brothers and sisters, I will stand here and say, God will always deliver on what He has promised. And He will enable the weakest and the feeblest and the most stammering tongue in this church to be the great evangelist if we will step out and be faithful as a witness for Christ. But most of us simply sit back and wait. And I have to say, I'm not pointing fingers at you. If I do, there's three or four pointing back at me. Yeah, I struggle with this. Secondly, He empowers us to serve God. I've got to be quick. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said again in the upper room with the disciples that night, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How do we remain in Christ? How do we abide in Him? And how does He abide in us? Well, when His Spirit is abiding in us and we're abiding in Him, living in His Spirit, He says we will be fruitful. We will have the power to serve God but, and to be effective. But the reality is, apart from Him, we can do nothing. 
Problem is, brothers and sisters, especially here in 21st century America, you and I tend to be, and especially I and so many of us in Christendom, we are, we've, are very impressed with our abilities. We are very impressed with our technologies. We are very impressed with our methodologies. We are very impressed with all of these things. And we think, you know, if I can just get the methodology right, if I can get the technology right, if I can get the wording right, if I can get all these things right, man, people are going to come to faith in Christ by the droves and the work of God is going to advance and it's going to accomplish all kinds of things. Yeah, and we're all big on our power and we fail to realize apart from Him we can do Nothing. Hmm. That's why we need His Spirit to empower us to serve. 1 Corinthians 12, of course, tells us how the Spirit of God has uniquely gifted every one of us who are believers with abilities to serve if we will depend on Him to do the work through us. Well, thirdly, He empowers us not only to evangelize, not only to serve, but He empowers us for holy living. You see, do you ever struggle to live right? You don't really have to raise your hand because if you didn't raise your hand, you'd be a liar. Okay, And I know that because we all struggle with that, don't we? It's impossible for us to do what's right all the time. You know, even if we don't do the wrong things, we fail to do all the right things. And anyone who knows the good to do and does not do it, the Bible says it's sin. (laughs) Well, good news. The Bible says, 1 Thessalonians says, God's will for you is your sanctification. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be right. Romans chapter 8 says that it is His will, He is working to conform us to the image of His dear Son. He's trying to make us like Jesus in our character. That's God's desire and His plan in our life. Well, how does He bring that about? Well, it's certainly not, about, it's certainly not by our ability. Here's how it is. Galatians chapter 5. I read it earlier, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our life, this is what He produces. A couple of verses later, it says this. The fruit of the Spirit, when, he's, when we're following Him, when He's working in our life, the fruit He grows in us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So, what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts, He regenerates, He indwells, He baptizes, He he teaches, He empowers. Wow, it's a lot of stuff. That's, that's, we've covered a lot, but what is it really, how does it, what do we do with it from here? Very quickly, let me just wrap it up. Try to put some shoe leather on it. Four commands that I see in Scripture about the Holy Spirit. There's more than that, but I'm picking four that I see they're very relevant for how we apply all this in our life. If all those things are true about who the Holy Spirit is and what He can do and does in us, these four commands are very significant for you and I to apply in our life. First one is this. Again, I just used this verse a moment ago in Galatians 5. Walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How do we walk by the Spirit? You could also substitute the word for walk. You could substitute the word live. Okay, that's maybe a little easier to understand, but how do we live by the Spirit? What does that really mean? Let me suggest three practical things about that. First is this. Well, overarching is this. It means follow His leading. But let me explain that a little bit. First, in following the leading of the Holy Spirit, I say this. Read the Word of God. The Word of God, which has come to us through the Spirit of God, working, writing through godly men to produce this here, this is the Word of God. And remember what we said, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He will also call these things to mind. So if we read the Word of God and think about the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is going to imprint it in us so that when we need it, that time when we're tempted or that time when we're afraid or that time when we're worried or that time when someone needs to hear something that God says or they have a question or we're trying to share with Christ about someone, the Word that we've been studying, the Holy Spirit brings it back to mind. Have you had that experience? I don't, didn't remember I knew that verse, but I know it now. He brings it back to mind. Feed on the Word of God. Secondly, Listen to the Holy Spirit's warning. Pastor Aaron earlier mentioned our conscience. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through our conscience. How many times we hear, probably every day, many times, that little voice in our head going, Don't do that. Don't go there. That's wrong. Hold your tongue. Hold your tongue. Hold your tongue. Hold it. <laughs> Sometimes our conscience has to yell at us. And we still don't listen. <laughs> Walking by the Spirit means listening to His warnings, obeying that. It also means following His promptings. How many times, brothers and sisters, do you have a thought, I should give, fill in the blank, a call to see how they're doing. I should pray for so-and-so. You know, I think so-and-so is really discouraged. I need to think of some way to encourage them. Do you have those thoughts? Have you ever thought that's the Holy Spirit going? He does that. I cannot tell you how many times. matter of fact, it just happened this week where I had that thought. I need to give someone a call. Oh, I'm so busy right now. I can't. And this came up and that came up. And that was five days ago. And yesterday I find something else out and I go, I knew it. <laughs> I got a little word about that person. And I was like, I should have called on that day at that time. I should have. You ever done that? It's the Holy Spirit. My pastor, when I was growing up, used to say, follow your good impulses. Not the bad impulses, the good ones. He'd say, after all, it might be the Holy Spirit going. And if it's not the Holy Spirit going, the worst thing you did is did a good thing. I thought that was good advice. Well, okay, I'll be faster on the rest of these. Gotta, okay. Walk or live by the Spirit. Second, don't quench the Spirit. We read this verse earlier again. Do not quench the Spirit, First Thessalonians 5, 19. That means to dampen to a fire to kind of almost put it out. What he's saying is don't resist the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
What's the Holy Spirit trying to do? He's trying to make us like Jesus. He's trying to, he's trying to sanctify us, make us holy. Instead of fighting that, cooperate with Him. We quench Him by deliberately sinning, by shutting down our conscience, by refusing His leading. Thirdly, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Again, a verse we read earlier, Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How do we grieve the Spirit? Well, I imagine that any time we deliberately sin, we grieve Him. We make Him sad. We hurt Him. But in the context, it's interesting there in Ephesians 4, in the context, it actually is very specific. In the context, in the words before that, he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of others. In other words, don't let your words tear other people down, but instead let your words build others up. And then he goes on right after that, and it says this. It says, put aside all Wrath, all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor, all slander, all malice, and instead be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. If I sum all that up, grieving the Holy Spirit is whenever we argue and fight and tear one another down and hold grudges against one another, and divide. That's not how it is to be. That's how we grieve the Holy Spirit. Lastly, Ephesians 5.18, and this deserves a sermon in itself, the command, be filled with the Spirit. But let me just... Ephesians 5.18, I think, is the best and simplest way that I can explain it and illustrate it. It says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What the verse says is, when you are filled with wine, drunk, you are controlled by the wine. Put it over here. When we are filled with the Spirit, we are controlled by the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled by the Spirit? Filled with the Spirit means be controlled by Him. When someone is filled with the Spirit... It's not about getting more of the Spirit. We already have, as believers, the Spirit living in us. So it's not getting more of the Spirit. It is giving the Spirit more of us, essentially. It's making it our prime desire, our prime ambition, our prime priority to follow the Spirit, to live for God's purpose rather than ours. You know, Pastor Larry last week, as he was talking about Jesus Christ, he, he mentioned how Jesus Christ didn't come as Superman. He didn't come with all these super advantages over us. He humbled himself and lived as among us, as it were, as one of us. It's interesting to notice that What Jesus did, He did by the power of the Spirit. He did according to the Spirit. He was moved by the Spirit. He was filled by the Spirit. If you read all these things, He did all these things through and by and in the Spirit. Jesus was setting, you see, an example for us of how we are to live. What He did was what what is to be our norm. And Jesus' purpose was never to do what He wanted, but to do whatever the will of the Father was. And he's saying that should be the way we live. 
How are we filled with the Spirit? Make it our aim to do the Father's will and to follow the leading of God's Spirit through His Word and His ministry to us. Much more to say, but we're out of time. Let's pray. Father, we've said a lot. We've seen a lot. We've heard a lot. And it's convicting because the reality is we all see how far short we fall of living our lives, being filled by the Spirit all the time, being controlled by the Spirit, making Your will our priority. We so easily and so often get distracted by our will. We so often get enamored with our abilities and our plans and our ideas and we think we can accomplish stuff and we fail to see our need and our great dependence upon You. So, Father, if nothing else this morning, may we understand that You have given us a great gift putting Your Spirit in us. And You desire for us to live differently, to live a life that is a life of eternal impact, to be conformed to the image of Christ. We only see these things happen when we set our will aside And say, Lord, we want to go Your way. Father, we don't have the strength how we need Your Spirit to work in us and through us. And Father, may You do that in us. May You do that in this church so that we might live according to the power of the Spirit and bring great glory to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.